Today's message has nothing to do with my shirt. I'm going to read a scripture, and this has been on my heart. I woke up on Monday and could not let go of this. And I read it, and I read it again, and I read it in parallel versions. The text is John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. It'll be up on the screen. I will read it as well. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him, Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'll get through this one. So the context of what is happening here is... That This is a controversial passage. Some of the early church fathers, among them St. Augustine and St. Ambrose, didn't know quite what to make of this because it was controversial in the sense that people thought Jesus should react a certain way, that they had kind of put Jesus in a box and thought, this is what Jesus maybe should have done in this situation. You're dealing with a very heavy subject, and the fact that Jesus did not freak out in this situation, it kind of bothered some people. They didn't know what to do. During this time, there were three major things which you could lose your life for. One was idolatry, another was adultery, and the third one was murder. This happens right after the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching, and this happens. I want to make this, bring this down to our level for a moment. This woman, imagine her being dragged in. Like, imagine right now in church, when church is going on, and someone being dragged in that side door and thrown right in front of all of us. Disheveled, crying. She's been caught in adultery, in the very act. I couldn't help but think about during Jesus' time on this earth, those three years of ministry especially, think of all the people that Jesus met. Think about that. He met people when he was teaching in the temple. He met people when they were bringing their children to be blessed. He met in all the multitudes here and there. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Think of all the people that just met him. But then there's this lady. And you would think the best place to meet Jesus would be at church, but this is her meeting with the Savior right in this moment. 
As she lays there, she knows what the law says. She knows that she's dead to rights. You know by the fact that she's been caught in adultery. This is someone who may never see her husband again. If she had children, she'll never see them again. The last memory they will have of their loved one are the stories that will be told about what happened this day. Imagine the weight of shame that's on this woman. This is the ultimate setup in the Pharisees' mind. They wanted to trip Jesus up. They did this purposely bringing her here. There's no way Jesus can avoid a wrong answer here. There's no way. It's almost as if they were intoxicated by a spirit of religion that they knew. They knew they're going to take the the harshest parts of the law and the worst parts of religion and bring them together right on the church floor, and they're going to see that justice is done. I say that to us even as a warning in church. A religious spirit's going to cry out for the penalty. But a heart that's been set free by grace will view every situation differently. I can't help, you know, I was reading the other day, there are places in the world where this is still how it goes. There are countries under Islamic rule and Sharia law right now that have morality police that go around and if people are out of bounds on things, that very same thing could happen. They could be stoned. It's amazing to think that that still is happening. Notice something in this passage. Notice Jesus' reaction. The word does not say, and the Lord was so shocked that he puts his hands to his cheeks like Kevin McAllister, and the rest of the day he walks around and he he can accomplish nothing because he is just so overwhelmed by the thought that this happened. There are times as Christians that we think we're not being Christian enough if we don't walk around acting shocked by what goes on in the world. Let me put this in other terms. One word definitions, let's do that. What does a runner do? Wait, got to say it louder. Run, excellent. Excellent, I love this. A baker? Bakes. A farmer? A sinner? Whoa. So we understand it, right? So the world does not follow the rules of the church, and yet we walk around wondering why the world's not acting like the church. Sinners sin. That's what they do. It's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but the love of Jesus does not condemn. There are times that, you know, people will kind of create their own idea of what Jesus should be. And there are times that it would be pretty easy if my Jesus was condemning because then I could walk around condemning people and saying I'm Christ-like. But listen to this. In other countries, if you've ever had the privilege of driving in a third world country, you may have seen something. Show me this traffic. It looks something like this. Yeah, it's crazy. And this could be a two-lane road, for real. Like, you can go to another country and you may have at an intersection... Two cars, a bus, people on motorcycles, somebody on a horse. It's like Mario Kart. It's like the starting line of Mario Kart sometimes. You don't even know what's going to go on. 
And it was told of a missionary, and he was driving, and he was with uh, someone who knew the lay of the land. And he said to the driver, I bet there are a ton of accidents here. The driver said, actually, no. He said, "Um, do you know the country with the highest rate of accidents? The United States. And he said, what you need to understand is that drivers here don't expect the other cars to stay in their lanes. So they're actively watching for cars to come their way. In America, we have this idea that you need to stay in your lane. I mean, Americans coined that term, stay in your lane, right? We don't know what to do when people are not in their lane. In other countries, the way that that is, two buses, five cars, a donkey, motorcycles, I was reminded when I saw that story of the fact that I grew up in Leroy. And before they put that roundabout in, you would see probably all those things competing to get into five points. And I say that because there are times that you need to remember where you came from so you will understand the disorder that we are not to thumb our nose at, that we're not to condemn, but we're supposed to respond in grace and the love of Jesus Christ when it comes to things that are happening, and we need to be consistent with it and with our message. Sinners are going to sin. Grace does not condemn, but it reminds me that it was a gift that was given to one who was lost. But a lot of people be like, yeah, but, but, but if Christians don't speak up, then yes, there is a time and there is a place. How many of you know John 3, 16? Pretty good. I'm not going to ask you to repeat it. But how many of you know John 3, 17? Jesus didn't come here to condemn. How many of you know John 3, 18? This world was already walking in condemnation. They are broken. There would be no need for us to be a light or to be salt in a world if things were going the way that they should go. We are sent here as God's representative. This is why we live differently. This is why we evangelize. This is why we're consistent in our walk. We have this woman at Jesus' feet. That word she was caught, it means literally taken with her shame upon her. The devil is not your friend. The devil is not looking to paint you in a good light. It wasn't fair, this accusation, maybe. It wasn't right how it went down because by the very uh, definition of adultery, two people should be involved here. You don't hear that the man was thrown down in front of people, that he was about to lose his life. The standard of evidence was really high for this crime. In other words, to level this accusation, you needed to witness with your own eyes what was happening. In other words, the accusers kicked in the door on this one, and they were going to drag her in. It was personal what was going on. Romans 8.1, the beginning of that says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This woman needed freedom. When I was younger, like last week, I would read this verse, and I would think of it in terms of, there is no condemnation which is heaped upon me because the grace of Jesus Christ has saved my soul. But when I look at it a little more, I begin to think there is no condemnation. There should be no condemnation either heaped upon me nor coming out of my mouth because it's no part of who I am as a Christian. Moses in the law, he commanded that such should be stoned. 
Here's a question that I would put out there that you should ask whenever you don't know what to do. But Jesus, what do you say? That question, it'll change everything. See, that trap had been set for Jesus. If he were to answer a certain way, it's like he disrespected the law of Moses. If he was to answer another way, then he, all this love that he preached, did he really mean that? What does Jesus do when the accusations fly? The Bible says Jesus stooped down. Jesus Christ knows the image that you were created in. Genesis 1.27 lets me know. Let us create man in our image, our likeness. When the devil looks at you, it's not as much personal as much as he knows he hates that you look like Jesus. He hates that you were formed in that image. He hates any time that you take steps toward Jesus. He wants to tear you down. The accuser, he wants to describe you at your worst. He wants you to think of yourself in the worst terms, that you're extra bad, that you're extra out of your lane. But Jesus, he stoops down. Stooping down, what that does that translates to humility. And when he stoops down with this posture, he doesn't react like everyone else. The tensions are high at this moment, but Jesus does not respond in kind. He gets down, and what I can't help but think, when he stoops down, it's so he can look into the eyes of the one that's broken. Love leans down. The Bible says it was as though he didn't hear wasn't that he couldn't hear them, it's that he was ignoring the accusation because he was about to change the playing field. When I say, you know, there's times, and you'll hear people, oh, that devil's been after me this week. You know what? No, the devil's been trying to make God look bad, and there's times that he's going to try to use situations in your life. This personal thing, like, do you think the devil walks around, he's like, Bob Meredith, he's on the top of my hit list. He's like, no, that guy, that guy's like five foot tall that's a pastor, inventor. Yeah, I'll use him for whatever. I'll try to make his story bad. It's almost like with these, with a war plane. This is how he thinks of it. You're just like another mark on the plane. You're just like another, took another one down, took another one down. This is how the devil works. Not guilty. This is something that I'm just going to be honest with you. God rocked me this week. I said something, and God checked me. Do you know what I said? I said, I am a sinner saved by grace. I felt like God checked me. God cannot lie. God can't declare me not guilty if I'm guilty. I feel like the way the Holy Spirit checked me is in the fact that you were dead in sin, you were lost. I think that where he's trying to get me is I need to say I was a sinner and I'm saved by grace. I need to quit putting that verbiage on there as if some way I'm walking around still dirty because Jesus Christ has made me clean. Almost like you're not qualified to make that call. 
Doctors can do something. When someone passes away, a doctor can make the call of a time of death. I can't make that call on a time of death. And so I can't go around in a spiritual sense saying this or that. What I can do is I can lean on the word of God and he has made me alive. Ephesians 2.5 says that I was dead in my sin, but I've been quickened together with Christ. By grace, I have been saved. This day, that woman learned the truth that the love of Jesus does not condemn. Jesus is writing on the ground, you know, and there's all kinds of sermons because everyone wants to know what did Jesus write on the ground. And if you just do a little bit of a word study, you can kind of dial in what he may have done. There's a Greek word to write. It's not used here. Another Greek word is used, and that means to write down a record against someone. And people would think that Jesus, and you hear this, that Christ began to write the sins of those who had the stones about to carry out the punishment on this woman. But what I loved, and I saw something else, and it made me smile. When Jesus, during the time that he lived, he would do things that people would be like, I see what you just did there. Well, when it came to Roman courts and the Roman judicial system, something would happen. A sentence would be written out before it would be pronounced. And what I love about this is the very next verse that I'm going to reference, I'd like to think that Jesus leans down in the dirt and he begins to write the words out and they're reading what's about to come and they know we just lost. This is what I'd like to think because here's the words. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. In that moment, can you imagine what went on? The humility that he's down and he's looking eye to eye. He stands up. It tells me this, that the same Savior that can stoop in humility can stand up in power and authority. And when Jesus stands, the accuser has nothing to do here. The fist raised with the rocks in it. Can you imagine as this goes on? You know, when you're with your crowd and everybody's like, yes, yes. And can you just see as this conversation goes on, they're like, like the stone, you know, and you're putting it behind you. Like, what stone? I, I didn't have a stone. He who is without sin among you. In this case, when you brought this accusation as a witness, the way that the sentence would be carried out is that those bringing the witness against someone would be the first ones to throw the rocks. Being convicted by conscience, after they hear this, they leave from oldest to the last, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. It reminded me once I knew someone when I was at Lee. When I met him, he told me his name, and he said, I'm a redneck. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. And he gave me redneck wisdom once. And he said, if you're ever in a scrap, and there's more than one of them, you start with the biggest one first because the little ones won't know what to make of that. And I think in a spiritual sense, this is what just happened here, is that from the oldest to the youngest, they did not know what to make of what just happened, and the rocks begin to fall on the ground. And it's a continuous tense, and it almost means that when it started happening, it was almost like a parade, just one by one, almost in rhythm, they were walking away. 
as the accusers are filing out in silence. You know what I thought of as I was studying? I thought of that old SNL skit when it was David Spade standing. Remember, and they were like the flight attendants, and as people were leaving, mm, bye-bye, mm, bye-bye. Just as they're going, you know, in the spiritual, just bye-bye, we'll see you now. This is what I, I know, what's wrong with me? <laughs> When Jesus had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. I believe that the rhythm of your testimony will be to the beat of the stones that fall on the ground. I say this because someone here, you know, you just feel so unworthy to walk the walk. You feel so unworthy to be around people that you think have it all together. And I just want you to hear the stones falling when the accusation falls. When the devil, you know, when he's whispering, just be like, devil, do you hear what I hear? Thump, thump, thump. That same Savior who doesn't condemn is the same Savior who does not compromise. And this is important to keep in mind. Neither do I condemn you, he says, but after that, go and sin no more. Once the accusation's brought into the light, once the shadow of shame is gone, then it's time to walk in a new way. This is where we as Christians can get messed up because we don't know what to do. It's either condemnation or compromise. If your compromise leads you to a place where you cannot speak biblical truth to someone in love and you love them into hell, then that's not a good spot to be in. Jesus himself, you know, this is what he was accused of. Matthew eleven nineteen. They're naming all these people that he hangs out with, saying he's a friend of sinners. He is not condemning. But verse 11 there lets me know that he is not compromising. As a Christian, at the moment that we compromise, then you will have no platform to witness when you need it. Pastor Nip would talk about integrity and the fact that you need to protect it because it's so precious. And as Christians, it may not seem fair sometimes, the standard that we are held to. But this isn't a hobby. If this is a lifestyle, then God will give you the grace to walk it. Why were lost people drawn to Jesus? Not because he said their sin was okay, but that he was always the same. They knew what they were going to get. They knew that when he spoke, that he wanted them to have relationship, that he had their best interests at heart. They knew that. God doesn't just declare not guilty. God declares case dismissed. There's a picture that when I saw it, throw that one up, Madeline, that, that sheep. Your path, it may have been a dark one. 
It may have been one where you schemed. You broke promises. You might have been a pretty terrible person. But the Savior that came here to lay his life down for you is not shocked at the level of darkness. His mouth doesn't drop open and he doesn't worry, will my blood cover that? There's a God whisper that says, here's the lane you need to be in. My grace will help you stay there. And as we do that, and as we live that, then the world's going to see it. You need to understand that love still leans down. Last night, I was at this worship night. And whenever they sing it here, same God, I go to pieces. They sang it, and I go to pieces. And you know, like, everybody has a part of a song that gets them, right? You know what got me, Rachel? You touched the lepers then. I think for the world to see what they need to see out of us as Christians, is a willingness to stoop. is a willingness to touch the lepers. Not here because it's something we do and we all get together, but out there. Out there when you're alone, when you don't have your church buddies, when you're having your hard day, when, when it's almost you don't know if people will be cool if you bring Jesus up there. This is where we need to start doing this. The goal, it isn't just to get people out of a bad situation, but it's to help them be put on their feet in Jesus' name so they can walk in freedom. It amazes me that this same Jesus that has this encounter with this woman, that the very sins that she's committing will be nailed to a cross. You think about this. The very things that he is here, like in that moment, it blows my mind. Before long, that condemnation, before long, when he walks onto that hill carrying that cross, everything's going to change. I'm going to close on this thought. That may have been a controversial passage, but what I love about it is this. Jesus doesn't respond the way I tell him to respond. He doesn't respond in a way that makes me comfortable. For some here, I'm going to say this in love. It's time to put our rocks down. Not every fight we pick for Jesus is a fight we were supposed to pick. And Jesus Christ still lifts the weight of condemnation. He gives dignity where the accuser piles shame. I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask you to stand.
We're going to pray. Last week, some sunshine, some storms. God was good. This week, God's going to be good. What I'm going to pray right now is his blessing on your life. I'm going to pray that we as a church body walk in a way that lifts the shame. If you bow your heads. Father, right now, I speak your life over this family. God, I pray that you would just bring your word to life in front of them. God, I pray that this would not merely be a walk, but we would break into a run for you. I pray right now, Lord, against a world that seems to be getting worse by the day that their lights would shine. I pray, God, for courage in dark places. I pray for God appointments to begin to come forward. I pray for faithfulness. You did not call us, Lord, to have every answer, but what you called us to do is to be faithful in what we have. And Lord, I pray right now from the youngest to the oldest that your spirit would stir that this spotlight would be on the people you are pointing them toward. And God, I pray that the harvest would begin to roll in like never before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.